Is it possible to take a slogan in common usage and, well, flip it around and make something different out of it? Or what if we really had to get honest about the human condition in order to hear the great good news? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, the podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. Yes, we have a niche we're targeting or we're interested in uh, reaching out to pastors, uh, church leaders who have responsibilities of leading, whether it's small groups or pastoring churches, where it's really important to reflect on the experiences of life and think through them theologically, as we used to call it theological reflection. But we're certainly open to anyone who has that interest, those who might be curious about faith, those who might... um, be involved in a church and wondering what, how to make sense of the events that we face, the experiences that we have, uh, both in the church and what we often consider outside the church. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to have my friend Emily Hunter McGowan. Emily's a teacher and a scholar of religious studies. She's a theologian in the Anglican tradition, and she specializes in the study of lived religion, which goes beyond traditional focus on texts and historical figures include everyday practices and experiences of individuals in their communities. I'm pretty excited about her book that's going to be coming out uh, next summer, actually next May, Quivering Families, the Quiverful Movement and, and Evangelical Theology of the Family. She earned her Ph.D. from the University of Dayton and MDiv uh, from Truett Seminary at Baylor University and to be in Biblical Studies from Criswell College. She and Ronnie are also involved in uh, church planting, uh, the Church of the Resurrection in Arvada, uh, Colorado. I hope uh, that you will uh, enjoy the podcast as we discuss Advent, and we're kind of keying on uh, a phrase that has been used since the last election cycle and still actually in use, but it's been flipped by a friend of mine, Trip Fuller, and um, it's that hashtag MAGA. And we all know it as Make America Great Again, but we're after a different sort. We're taking that slogan and flipping it to Make Advent Great Again. So some of you may not be familiar with Advent, especially if you grew up like I did. And so this is a podcast that explores what is it, what does it mean, how do we practice it, what, what what's import, import does it have for the lived life of uh, Jesus' followers. So I hope you enjoy the podcast Remember, you can share it with your friends uh, and uh, give us a rating on iTunes. Leave us a, a review. It, it helps us continue to uh, be discovered and goes a long way to uh, helping us make uh, other connections. So we'll have some more on the backside. So here's my conversation with Emily Hunter McGowan. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have uh, my friend Emily McGowan. Uh, Emily uh, is in Colorado. She teaches. She um, Well, exciting news is, is she's got a book coming out in May, but uh, we can't talk about that just yet. We're going to wait a little bit in the spring, and then we're going to spring it on you all, and uh, we'll get to talk about her book, and I'm, I'm excited for her, and I know there's a lot of work still going on getting that out, so um, uh, aside from that, she's involved in a church plant, I believe Church of the Resurrection. Is that right? There in Colorado, uh, in, the, in the Denver area, am I right about that? That's right, yeah. Arvada. Okay, and uh, and so uh, I've asked Emily to come on today to talk about Advent. And uh, so Emily, thanks for taking your time out today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, one of the things that is always on my mind, I mean, I, I, Emily, I didn't grow up with Advent much. I don't know about you, but I thought, well, when, when did you discover Advent or when did it become kind of a, a celebratory event in your understanding of uh, God's narrative and, and the incarnation? When, when did when that happen for you? Yeah, so we discovered Advent um, as we were, as Ronnie and I, my husband Ronnie and I, were sort of realizing that we no longer fit comfortably into the Southern Baptist world um, because of our changing theology of the sacraments. And um, we we began to explore what the other traditions were that we could kind of root ourselves in. So we came across... um, 
course, the Methodist Church. We spent some time serving with the Methodist Church, and then we ended up in an Episcopal Church. And I think it's when we were worshiping every week with our Episcopalian brothers and sisters that we really got exposed to the church year as a whole, Mm -hmm. and then Advent in particular. It had never been something that we had done. It was always kind of like, well, that's that's a Catholic thing. Catholic. Right. And, you know, within the evangelical world, if Catholics do it, for the most part, you're not supposed to. Um, so when we were worshiping with Episcopalians, it, it began to make sense to me that we would take time to prepare for a mystery as big as Christmas. I mean, what Christians claim about Christmas is a really big deal. So the, the practice of having a few weeks, four weeks in preparation for Christmas just began to make sense. Um, and so during that time, we were also beginning to appreciate the liturgy, uh, the, the use of the lectionary, and, um, you know, the importance of ritual in a good way, not in the bad way we've been taught, but in a good way. And so all of those things just sort of helped me to appreciate that. So that was probably, let's see, 2010? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you made that reference to ritual in a good sense because of course having grown up southern baptist and of course you're talking to a southern baptist pastor um we don't like to admit to our rituals but we have them nonetheless and so it is a bit ironic that we would um uh eschew others rituals and kind of ignore the fact that we have them i mean try to change a sunday morning bulletin in a Southern Baptist church and you will upset the apple cart to no end. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it, it, some things do become, become ritual. Uh, one thing that, that, um, you know, uh, my own experience, just kind of give a bit of background. I, I took my first staff position in the Dallas area in 1986 and um, my pastor took a preacher's magazine at the back of it. It had, a section on Advent for children. My job was the children's time on Sunday morning. We, I think, can't remember. At then we called it the children's sermon or children's time. I don't remember. And all it said across the top, "Do this." <laughs> so that I was quickly immersed. Had a few weeks, and so for me, uh, Advent is the only um, uh, experience with the Christian calendar uh, up until. Oh, goodness. Um, 15 years ago, maybe. And so for the most part, it was okay. I like this thing. Done it with the children, you know, from my first staff position, but um, not any of the other seasons until gradually we discovered their value as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to, just for, for those who might be listening, um, there might be a Southern Baptist who sneaks in and listens every now and then, I would hope. But what, what is it about the Christian calendar, or you referred to the, to the lectionary, um, what is it about that sort of, um, uh, I don't want to call it a program, but, but, but um, what is it about that whole framework mm-hmm. that you have found valuable um, for your uh, awareness of, you know, what God has done and continues to do in the world? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I find the church here and the lectionary, and uh, I like the term framework. I, there's a lot of reasons I found that really valuable. Um, I think the the first one, as far as the church here is concerned, is it, it provides a way of making time sacred again. Like, um, I feel like most Christians, evangelical Christians in America, whatever flavor you are, we tend to really strongly divide sacred time and secular time, sacred space from secular space. But if you're trying, if you are practicing the Christian calendar, every space, every time is actually sacred. Hmm. And, um, you know, the church year is arranged in such a way where you're spending about half the year focusing on the life of Christ and then the other half of the year focusing on the life of Christ's church. And so that means that there's no, there's no time of year that isn't, you know, within the story of God. And so I find that really meaningful. And it makes more sense of our proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord to see all of time is sacred. Um, and then as far as the lectionary is concerned, 
I find that practice um, spiritually beneficial for me personally, having to um, abide by these passages of scripture that the church, um, for the most part, universal, has Mm -hmm. chosen to focus on for any given Sunday. So it's not up to me or my particular feelings that week or, or, you know, whim for that month. I have to preach what the church has given me to preach. (laughs) Uh, And so does Ronnie. And so together we have found that both like really challenging because sometimes you're Mm -hmm. preaching passages that you never would have chosen on your own. Right. Um, But also really beneficial because there are times when the lectionary aligns in a supernatural way with things that are going on in the world that need to be addressed that you probably wouldn't have thought of that passage of scripture, but you find as you pray and study that there's this overlap between what the spirit is saying to the church and what, what's happening, you know, on the world stage. So I, I like the lectionary for that reason. It's not up to the individual preacher. Um, and then I guess the other part that I would say just from a personal, like spiritual formation perspective the experience of being able to depend on the practices of the church, the rituals of the church, the traditions of the church, in a not in a way that they like substitute for my faith, but in the sense that they facilitate my faith mm-hmm. and help to encourage me in my faith. That mm-hmm. I can I can fall back on those things in the times when I'm struggling, when I'm not, you know, quote unquote feeling it or right. Uh, I'm in a period of darkness or, you know, feeling sad or down, I can turn to the traditions of the church and that, that sustains me. Um, And I don't think that's like traditionalism in the negative sense. I think that's living tradition. This is the communion of saints, um, you know, sustaining us through the work of the spirit today. So I think that kind of sums up how I feel about it. Yeah, right. And I think that one of the problems is if, among evangelicals uh, is, is that we tend to um, pick the bits of church tradition that suit us, mm-hmm. and then we um, vilify um, other uh, aspects of church tradition in order to play up sometimes why we even exist. Yeah, that's true. Contra, contra that particular thread or or past experience, you know, when you, when you made a reference, um, that the, the, the Christian calendar and the lectionary, um, help us in particularly the season of Advent, remember, um, that this, the beginning kind of the unfolding that Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of, of how that phrase is actually a subversive phrase in the text. Right. So, you know, uh, we're familiar uh, with the fact that, you know, Paul was countering Caesar as Lord with Jesus as Lord. So my friend Tripp is uh, doing a, a thing on uh, Advent and he's taking uh, a common, well, now common uh, slogan, political slogan, uh, hashtag M-A-G-A, which there isn't anybody who probably isn't familiar with that. And instead of make America great again, it's make Advent great again. Mm-hmm. And that really spurred me to want to do something this week with the first Sunday coming up uh, this coming Sunday to say that uh, when I read your uh, quote from, uh, is it Jerome or Jer- Jer- Jeremy? Do you? It's Jerome. Jerome, Jerome Berryman. Uh, I thought, yeah, here we're making Advent great again by talking about the mystery of the incarnation mm-hmm. and that the idea that we can even consider that a possibility or reality uh, in one Sunday, Christmas pageant program. You know, when I was growing up, Santa came to church and I got this mesh stocking. I had an apple, had some nuts in it, uh, maybe a toy, and I don't know, a few other candies, and of course, a candy cane. Mm-hmm. And the sack was in the shape of a candy cane, you know. There wasn't really, I mean, that's, by the way, that's a long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> but, I, but, but that was it. And, and, then, and then you just move right on, you know. And now we live in a culture where um, it's actually in, ironic, just thought of this, the consumer impulse gets Christmas before us, mm-hmm. before Halloween, 
Mm-hmm. And we could seize on that rather than get unhappy about that and point people to the four weeks that are given to particularly think about that. So when you think about that mystery, how do you, how do you uh, prepare? I mean, what are some things you think that four weeks counters Mm -hmm. um, when we start thinking culturally that we could, you know, make the whole idea that the, that uh, the word became flesh. Right. I mean, as far as what it counters, I mean, the, I don't know that we understand the, the inbreaking of God's kingdom well, if we are not able to, to spend some time with the darkness and the despair and the lament and the, the sense of exile that the people of God experienced prior to the coming of Christ, and that, frankly, each of us experience in our own lives. Um, I mean, I really think if you look at the whole sleep of scripture, especially the Old Testament, I mean, this constant theme is, where is God? Where is God right now? And so Advent gives us this time to really sit with that, that experience and that reality before we then proclaim that Christ has come, that the Lord has arrived, that we are not alone, that we have not been abandoned. But there are so many people, including myself, who experience that on a regular basis and really wrestle with that darkness. And to skip straight to Christmas doesn't allow them the chance to to affirm that experience as part of what it means to be human. And to, to realize there's nothing wrong with you, you know, for feeling that way, but to still have that hope because we know we know that Christ is coming. We know Christmas is approaching. Yeah, you you raise the you raise the um, uh, the specter of lament, mm-hmm. and and um, I was uh, uh, talking to a fellow last week who told me that um, I believe it, I don't know how many were polled, but some Christians were polled who uh, the research indicated that nine percent of all Christians, I should say it this way, only 9% of all Christians have read the Bible through. My suspicion is that if that is really the case, not too many people know that there is a large Mm -hmm. ranging bits in the scriptures that are lament. Yeah. So when you say lament, since we don't do that well, (laughs) <laughs> we don't read about it well. We don't talk right. about it. What do you, how would you, how would you communicate or, or what, what would, what picture could you paint that we could say some maybe current illustrations are lamentable? Right. So, I mean, as far as what it, what it is, I mean, I think that the easiest place and the probably the most familiar place for folks to go is Psalm 51 um, where David is lamenting, his, his personal sin, but you would also go to Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. Um, and then the Psalm, Psalm 88 is also really profound for how deep and dark it is. There's actually no resolution at the end of that Psalm at all. Um, but as far as like what's lamentable, I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I was th- I was thinking there's some been some very significant cultural events going on, yeah, that are really causing us to really go. Um, on the one hand, I can't believe it, and then it's don't tell me there's another one, right? Well, so here's the thing, though. I don't think that I would say okay, now we need to lament. I mean, we do need to lament. I think the problem is that we have not been aware of the darkness and have not been lamenting it. Yes. And that goes, I mean, the two things that I think are the most pronounced right now is the systemic racism um, in our society, the, the sin of white supremacy that is still with us today that we have not acknowledged by and large and therefore haven't been lamenting. Um, and then also the sin of systemic sexism and, you know, the marginalization and, and subordination of women that we are seeing illustrated in the way women have been routinely, you know, harassed and assaulted by all these people in power. But it's all the way down. I mean, 
I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, there's gonna there's so many more, and there's so many more stories that we don't hear about janitors and fast food workers and waitresses and you know nannies and babysitters. And all that is to say, I mean, we as a church, I, mean, I hesitate to speak for the church universal. Maybe I should just say evangelicals in America, in my experience, have not done a good job of acknowledging either of those two systemic issues. And because we have not lamented it, we have not been able to seek to make reparations for it, to make restitution, and then, and then reconciliation, it's still here. You know, I don't know why the church hasn't been the one leading the way on these issues. Right. My, my uh, friend, the, the guys I'm going to shame if they don't have you on their uh, podcast, uh, <laughs> Jason and I have, have been talking about the, the fact that there has not been, in, in, and we haven't quite couched it in these terms, but it came to mind as you were describing that, that, that without lament, there is no good news. Right. I mean, if we aren't willing to face you know, the circumstances that are lamentable in our own lives, the darkness as you describe it, or in our culture, or the, or even the bits that we've contributed to unwittingly. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there's no really good news because if there's nothing to lament, it's like, I've done nothing wrong that I need forgiveness for, famously said in the right. last, you know, political cycle. Uh, so at that case, then, I don't even know how you can talk about making something great again if there's no bad news for it. And, and so, <laughs> okay. so, you know, so if, if there is uh, something that make Advent great again would, would trigger would be the fact that we're recognizing in these four weeks the, our own personal lament, the lamentable circumstances in which we've actually made contribution to. And thank God there's been some good news in the midst of that. Right. Absolutely. And, I think that it's a very strange irony that evangelicals of all would probably want to emphasize, you know, this total depravity, you know, the pervasiveness of sin, and yet, and yet we haven't been able to extend that out of the human heart into society. Of course, totally depraved people are going to produce institutions and, and systems that perpetuate sin. I mean, it, it's kind of bizarre that we can't recognize that. Um, but thankfully, you know, our Catholic uh, brothers and sisters have <laughs> have done some more work on this for us and are able to help us talk about um, that on a like a social systemic level. But it's both. It's personal sin. It's the way I participate in and perpetuate wrong and injustice and harm uh, in my personal life. And it's also the way that I continue to prop that up uh, within the institutions of our society by action or inaction. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, we, uh, we went through Romans uh, over the summer and I, I made some discoveries that you, with some literature I hadn't, you know, looked at before. And when you watch Paul shift uh, early on from talking about sins as in individual acts to the power of sin, it, 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 mm-hmm. it means we've actually fixated on the particular sins to the exclusion of the pervasive power of sin. And when we talk about what gets defeated, what gets defeated aren't my individual sins as such. It's the power of sin that's defeated on the cross and in the resurrection. And so, Mm -hmm. so I think what you describe is, uh, is significant that how do we not see that? Maybe it's because we've only been localizing sin on the, all too personal level where then it gets only figured into my personal piety. And if I've not participated or aware of that, I don't know how that I've, you know, maligned women by simply telling my son, you throw a ball like a girl or, um, you know, how, how that, that really does trigger and how that really does, you know, play into the same sort of things that they grow up and they look at women as though they can't do anything because they can't throw baseball as good as I can. Right. right? <laughs> and so, so I think that, I think that's really one of the, one of the things. And, and then of course, I, I, I think that the other is, is we don't really believe Jesus is Lord. Um, it, we, we, we kind of, we're kind of disappointed in how that all worked out as Fred Craddock put it recently. Um, yeah. Such that we've got to, we've got to find ways to use the same vehicle to, uh, to get power mm-hmm. uh, in hopes that we can make it look like we think it ought to look and then ascribe it to here's what God wants. Right. 
Right. So, so when, so when you, um, and I just, I threw this on you and you didn't have a lot of time, I know, but so when you think about, for instance, um, Isaiah and, and you, you referenced Israel and their darkness and that period we often refer to as that, you know, prior to the coming of Jesus and what, what was kind of in the, in the mix there, uh, what are some, what are some things, themes that you think are pertinent from their experience that we could recapitulate. So we've talked about darkness in general terms and some particulars that are going on, but what are some themes that are there? What are some things about, about exile or, or even returning from exile, if that's what's going on at the end of Isaiah and they, they find out that, boy, it's sure not like I thought it would be. What, what, are, what are some things you pick up there? I think the thing that stood out to me as I was reflecting on that was this idea of being captive to an alien power. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I don't want to say alien in the sense that it's totally other, because as we've been discussing, the things that we find ourselves captive in are are things that are of our own making as well. But um, I mean, I, I think that that idea of being held captive is what leads us into the recognition that only only God can rescue us, mm-hmm. that this is not something we can make great again. This mm-hmm. is not something we can solve, that we are entirely dependent on the mercy and grace of God. Um, so, so part of sitting in the darkness of Advent and sitting in that captivity and recognizing that allows us to be prepared for the, you know, but God moment, mm-hmm. you know, but, but Christ has come. He's the one who will deliver us. He's the one who can make this right again. Um, I mean, so that's the theme that I think has really stuck out to me lately. Um, yeah. So, so practically speaking, uh, not that this isn't, not because uh, I think it's imminently, but so for you, when, when, I, um, when, when I reflect on the, the quote you put up earlier um, about the coming of Advent, and and we're we're hurrying in the malls, buying things and doing this and that. What are some things that you have found, having discovered the season of Advent, the need to slow down? What are some things you you do personally? What are some things that help you prepare, or your family, or you and Ronnie? What are some things you all? do aside from, okay, here's four Sundays and, and they're particularly located on the Christian calendar. And I'm going to check the box that I observed Advent because actually that can become the thing, you right. know, uh, and, and it, and it fails to uh, bring to us the very reason the church kind of thought, Oh, we probably ought to do this. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, because we have small children, most of the things that we, that I do until participating with them in some way. Um, so on Sunday, we will put up, we, we created our own, um, what they call a Jesse tree. And um, it's, we did ours out of felt. You can make it however you want to, but it's a, you know, a shape of a Christmas tree, but it goes back to the idea of the, the root of Jesse. And we have a, a scripture reading for every day of Advent that we read as a family. And each reading is associated with, a um, essentially an ornament, a symbol that we place on the tree. And we start at Adam and Eve, we start at creation, and we work our way through the, you know, the story of God all the way up until um, the birth of Christ. And so that, that talk about recapitulating. So every year as a family, we go through the entire sweep of scripture together of course, not all the details, but sure. hitting the major things, including the exodus, I mean, the captivity in Egypt, the exodus, uh, the exile in Babylon, and the return, um, so that those those themes are prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a nightly thing. And that may seem, uh, you know, that is in some sense kind of routine, but it's really hard to make time to do that. Really I mean, <laughs> with small kids and homework and lunches and chores and all the things, um, taking the time out to sit together, to, to light the candle on our personal Advent, you know, wreath and to pray, to read scripture. And I mean, that it's actually, I think we may get more out of it than the kids do just because as the year presses on, 
um, ordinary time is a really long period. Yes, it is. <laughs> and as that presses on, you know, we can become kind of run down and distracted and tired. But being forced to stop every day, sit around the table and look at the faces of our children, you know, and and pray and and rely on God's mercy, that reorients us. It reorients our attention and our focus um, to what God is about to do on our behalf, instead of it just being about preparations for Christmas morning, which is what it normally is, the shopping and the hurrying and all that. Yeah, and, and the truth is, is, is that, uh, you know, it's not, it wasn't just kind of like this novel idea in Deuteronomy that you sit down with your family and you talk about these things. So, so here they may not get everything that's going on, but their participation in that orients them that this will be a rhythm that is valuable. And that, I mean, I, my kids are, are grown, but the grandkids are busy. Mm-hmm. and they're busy when there's just nothing to do they're busy you know so getting them to sit for long enough would be a practice that would be really important so tell me when you um put up your jesse tree and you put up ornaments is that something that that you've created or did you was there somewhere you found that idea or is there somewhere like if someone were listening and said you know what that'd be great for my family mm-hmm. where could someone find you know, some information about that. I guess the Google, but maybe. You yeah, I mean, somewhere. honestly, I heard about it from a, a friend of ours. Um, Aubrey Spears is a, a past, an Anglican pastor in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, he's at Church of the Incarnation there and we're friends. Um, and his church promoted that many years ago as a practice. And we kind of heard about it. Our kids were way too small to for them to participate at that point. But once they became old enough, I honestly just Googled it. And you'll find, I mean, there are uh, Reformed churches, um, Methodist churches, Episcopal churches, Catholic churches who provide their own version. You know, here are the readings, here are the ornaments. And I just found the ones that were the least difficult to do with small kids. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can make them out of, you know, clay and you can make them as fancy as you want. Right. I'm not particularly crafty, so I didn't go that route. But I may have to be the first Southern Baptist to put together something for the Jesse tree. I mean, this is like new for me. I hadn't I hadn't heard of this. That's fantastic. Well, I can send you um, and folks, if they want to, we have on our church website, we actually have an Advent guide on there. Oh, sure. Um, at Resarvada.com. At the um, end of our Advent guide, is a guide to the Jesse tree and it gives oh. you the readings so you don't have to pick it out yourself and it tells you the symbol and you can create whatever symbol you want. Oh, uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Send that to me and I'll link to it when I put the podcast up. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, so, um, and then, and then, um, not just what you do for family. So, so you do that. Is there anything, and this is going to be a weird out of the left field kind of thing, but so what about music? Because, you know, one of the things that happens right now is, is all the music is Christmas. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we don't distinguish Advent hymns and Advent music from Christmas music. So what are some, what are some hymns or some ways to, you know, kind of draw out where you're not racing to get to, you know, a, a Christmas uh, carol that, that you've right. sung all your life. Right. I mean, so I think my favorite Advent song by far is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It just, and there's so many beautiful renditions of it. We sing it every Sunday up until, up until Christmas. But I mean, the two albums that saved my life during Advent are uh, Rain for Roots has an album for, it's actually aimed at children. It's called Waiting Songs. And it's entirely about, it's entirely geared toward Advent. And it's got beautiful songs about waiting. And one of my favorites is just called It's Hard to Wait. And the chorus is from Isaiah 11. Um, you know, one day, um, you know, every, every low valley will be made high and every mountain will be brought low. And um, so that's Rain for Roots. And then... Um, Andrew Peterson's album, Behold mm-hmm. the Lamb of God, which thankfully more and more people are discovering. Now that does take you all the way up to Christmas, but what I love about that album is he takes us on the story of Christ, you know, from, from the Exodus all the way through. 
So you get a sense of the waiting, even as you listen to that album. It's not just about joy to the world. You know, you have to start start in, in the Exodus, start in bondage, mm-hmm. and then takes you all the way, you know, to the coming of Christ. So those are the two albums that I probably play. And there's more, I'm sure, but those are the sure. two main ones. Oh, those are those are great. I'm gonna have to look up Rain for Roots. I never one never heard of them, but but uh you know, I could sneak that in on the grandkids. Well, do you know Sandra that McCracken? Yeah. So Sandra McCracken is part of Rain for Roots. Oh, okay. They've okay. got really great music for kids. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Excellent. Well, um, so when um uh when you find yourself um, I mean, you're teaching, you've got small kids, you've got family, you're planting a church. Um, do you have, do you have any kind of, um, I don't want to call it a check. That sounds awful legalistic. Um, is, is there anything that when you catch yourself in the hurry that you stop and go, I, I, I okay, here's, this is too fast. This is too much. <laughs> Well, do I? I mean, I'm trying to cultivate, um, and this is this is so. What's the word I'm looking for? This is so cliche nowadays that I almost hesitate to say it, but it's the truth. So I'm going to. <laughs> I've been trying to cultivate, you know, practices of mindfulness mm. in those moments, mm. um, and part of that has been. Um, not everybody knows this, but I've been seeing a therapist for a couple months now, and she's been helping me to recognize the times when I'm getting anxious and spinning out and, um, like you said, hurrying, getting overly um, concerned with things not going my way, and just bringing back the focus to the present. And Mm -hmm. she said something really profound one of the first times we met. She said, this I'm sure comes from someone else, but she said, um, you can only experience joy in the present. You can't experience joy in the past. It's over. And you can't experience joy in, in the future. It's not here yet. So if you're worrying about one or the other, you're not being joyful. So I'm trying when <laughs> I feel myself doing that to bring myself back to my actual body and breathe and just focus on the fact that God is here. Um, our bishop, uh, Bishop Todd Hunter with Um, churches for the sake of others. He has one of his mantras that I've adopted from him is I'm always safe in the kingdom of God. Hmm. And so when I'm, when I'm feeling that way, I try to draw myself back to my breath and listen to my breathing and just say, I'm I'm always safe in the kingdom of God. I'm always safe in the kingdom of God. Um, And then I've also, I've also memorized Psalm 23. And that's something that Mm -hmm. I've even, I've taught our kids um, that I recite. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Well, there's t- two things there. One, let, let's um, let's give someone permission. We, we're talking about it. Not, not of course, that we're any authorities or anything, and someone's going to take us too seriously. But, but you know, there is absolutely nothing stigmatizing about talking to a therapist. No, not at all. You know, um, one of the best things that happened um, around here is is we've got a guy who. Um, had an office up in, in Oklahoma city and he was seeing a lot of people out in our area and we, he opened up a space here. And, uh, and so there's a guy down the hallway and Mm -hmm. uh, now he's gone into kind of semi-retirement, but he was always here on Tuesday. And if the schedule allows it, any of us can go, you know, sit and and talk about those sorts of things. You know, Mm -hmm. life's gotten a little hairy. It's gotten a little harried and, you know, then there are those reminders. And, and I, and so I think that, I think, you know, there's, there's too much stigmatization um, about, Oh, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the truth of the matter is we're living in a culture that produces things that are wrong with us. So the idea that <laughs> okay. the idea that we want to try to say there's nothing wrong with us is really kind of an avoidance. It's a defense mechanism to mm-hmm. uh, shy away from the realities that, you know, things are too busy. They're too harried. There's too much going on. Mm-hmm. We're saturated with, um, uh, you know, tech is just terrible. And, and uh, the 24 hour news cycle is so debilitating. I mean, you, you throw all that together and frankly, and, and I'm making light of it, but it it's no wonder that there's, 
really some um, mental illness that we have yet to recognize that mm-hmm. stems from all of that. And, you know, so anybody out there listening, uh, just know both of us have talked about talking with a therapist. Yeah. It's not scary. It's actually freeing. It's actually help someone just simply helping you, you know, kind of reflect on where you are and, and what would be needful. And so uh, I encourage you, if you're finding yourself at one of those dark places and you find Advent really helpful, uh, don't stop there. We are announcing that it's there's good news, but <laughs> God, but sometimes God shows up in the person that you get time and space with. So um, take the opportunity. Okay, commercial well, over. Can I add something about that? Absolutely. So I think... Um, one of the things, you know, unfortunately that as Christians, we, we get the impression that if, if we are right with Jesus, however we define that, then mentally we'll be in a good place all the time. And that's, that's just simply not true. There are a, a number of extenuating circumstances, including your brain chemistry that you have no control over that can contribute to you not being okay. And uh, I think this is especially hard for folks like me who are in a position of leadership. You feel like admitting that you're not okay mentally is um, a sign of weakness. But the funny thing is, weakness is something we're supposed to say is all right. Supposedly, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Yes. Um, And supposedly we are dependent on the grace of God, that our salvation is not of ourselves, it is a gift. So, yes. So the experience for me, I mean, just speaking personally of, I mean, I've been thinking about seeing a professional about the the issues that I have for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, years. And when I finally just took that step and went into her office and just let it all out and just shared all the things, um, it was a profound experience of grace. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, she's, she's not necessarily a believer, but the just the ability to to share everything that's going on all the dark things that you don't feel like you can share with anyone else and have that be accepted and and then to have someone take your hand and say i'm going to try to help guide you through this that's a that's a profound i would even say sacramental not a sacrament but sacramental experience of god's grace so i would i would definitely encourage anyone who's struggling to to see somebody about it. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, e- even, um, you know, pressing even further your uh, emphasis on uh, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I mean, even the very image of the death of God mm. is an image of weakness. And in that, through that, the powers that have hold over us were defeated. And, yes. and the other thing that, you know, when you start talking about, um, uh, what happens uh, and, and how we perceive ourselves or feel we're perceived when those those times come, you know, there's a great danger in the idealism that results from someone who believes that their life is going to be perfectly fine after giving it to Jesus, because that's there's the assumption that these ideals are going to become realities. And boy, you talk about it, damaging faith. Yes. Um, when, uh, that idealism, you know, takes hold and, and you, you then battle all those other internals. And this is not where we intended to go, but hey, but, <laughs> but, but God, I mean, if we're going to talk about Advent and we're going to talk about incarnation, we're going to talk about captivity and we're going to talk about hopelessness and, mm-hmm. and a sense of peacelessness and a sense of joylessness. I mean, these are very real sorts of uh, things that go with thinking through what's to come. Yes. Yeah, I think they're actually very natural things to talk about together. Uh, absolutely. And that's where I think that, you know, going going back to that the passage for this Sunday, for instance, in Isaiah 64, and if you start in 63 and go to 65, the lament is strong. Mm. The lament is strong. And the the I there there it's it's not a cure, but but what seems to be the corrective is when the lament stops and it's the recognition but God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that's probably all over Advent, you know, well, we haven't even talked about the little apocalypse and Mark and, you know, <laughs> we, we could kind of go quite away with that. But, um, so if, um, 
so in your church, when, when you're setting up um, and prepping those who come for the season of Advent, so certainly um, I'm assuming probably a form of an Advent wreath with the, with mm-hmm. the congregation. Certainly there are waiting songs, Advent songs. We've talked about that. And of course the texts that come with the, the, the lectionary for the season, but what are some other things you do uh, to help the congregation prepare for the season? Hmm. Well, I think, I mean, the things you mentioned are the obvious ones uh, when it comes to our teaching I think we're trying to, to like, like I get this image of pulling people back away from Christmas. I mean, I don't want to be bah humbug about it. I'm certainly not going to come down on someone for listening to Christmas carols. I I can certainly use them every now and then, but um, to continue to point them back to this theme of waiting and the theme you were talking about, the unveiling of, of what, what God is going to do to set things right and, and preparation that, we don't want to approach the mystery of the incarnation as though it is some, you know, humdrum, uh, mundane sort of thing. We're talking about something that that changed the nature of reality as we know it. I mean, from the moment of conception, so to speak, the nature of the universe was changed. Mm-hmm. So... I think speaking in that kind of language and sitting with those lectionary texts that are difficult to sit with. You mentioned the Mark text. I mean, the fig tree and the, the, <laughs> the fig tree and the leaves and the moon turning to blood and the sun darkening and like, this is supposed to get us ready for Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it really is. You know, this is the kind of um, turning over that we need. I mean, the news is really helping us out right now. I mean, mm. as dark and, and yes. hard as it is, this is exactly the sort of like sordid, um, violent world that Christ came into. Mm-hmm. And here it is now. You know, I think most Americans probably haven't, haven't felt this anxious about our nation for quite a while. Maybe I shouldn't say most, a lot of us at least. Right. But there, but that corresponds very well with the way that we should be feeling. Um, so I feel like I went off topic and didn't answer your question. But. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, no, you did. I mean, I mean, you know, it is a struggle uh, leading. Um, not wanting people to feel bad for jumping ahead to a Christmas carol and trying to pull back and then making the connections with, you know, it is dark out there, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that that there are a lot of people who. Um, think that every time they go to church, it, there, there ought to be some, um, uh, how do I say this comfortably, um, some therapeutic positivity that will give me some energy for when I leave. And the problem with that is, is to me, that's just a drug. Yeah. And it's not that, it's not that there isn't something positive that we send out with. It's that we, if we don't sit with what's going on, we really have a hard time having any conversation that points to good news mm-hmm. because then what happens is we look at everybody and well, you're just not positive enough. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Well, let me, tell me how that works out for your conversation with someone when you point them to Jesus by telling them, if you'd just be more positive, you know, I've got some young people who, you know, from time to time we'll see uh, over the in the past have seen maybe something I've, you know, posted or an article or reflection on, you know, that there are things that aren't terribly positive out there. And I've, I've been told, you know, that's not terribly positive. I'm like, yeah, but it's not. Right. And if we don't actually emphasize what's not, then we're never going, the story doesn't make sense. If there is no darkness, if there is nothing wrong, Mm -hmm. if everything is great, then there's, there's no good news. And everybody's good news is whatever makes them therapeutically feel better. And uh, we think that's not really uh, satisfying all the way down. It's more temporal than anything else. Right. Well, and I think that that emphasis on the therapeutic, once again, ironically, within an evangelical culture that wants to insist on grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, it ends up putting the onus back on you to produce the proper emotional response. And if you don't produce the proper emotional response, then you don't really believe. And the fact of the matter is faith, is my trust in Christ, whether I feel it or not. That's exactly right. 
And, and a lot of times, I mean, just given my personality, given the things I struggle with, I don't feel it very much. If I were going to church looking for therapy, which I did for a long time Mm -hmm. um, and was sorely disappointed, I would continue to be sorely disappointed, but it's primarily, and this is where um, Fleming Rutledge has been really encouraging to me. We come to church to hear what God has done. And that's what gives us hope. Yes. And and faith is what yes. God has done for us. Yes. Because if it was up to me, we would be I, I would be in very deep trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And who can't appreciate Fleming Rutledge? Oh gosh. She's wonderful. You know. Yeah. 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 Too bad we scared off all the women out of the SPC. <laughs> we could have some great we can we that. could have some great resources uh out there. So well, listen, I know you've got a busy schedule. We've talked about being harried and we could push it a little longer, but I, you've provided some great, some great things to think about, some practical things for families and moms and dads and churches. And, and uh, hopefully we'll have contributed to making Advent great again. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be very appreciative of taking out of your busy schedule on a spur of the moment whim Mm-hmm. And uh, jumping online. I appreciate it, Emily. Well, thank you. I'm, it's been good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. And we'll do it again. I want to thank you for listening to Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Uh, you Remember, you can find us at pathological.com, pathological.net, or toddlittleton.net. You can subscribe in, in iTunes or Stitcher or favorite podcatcher. I happen to use uh, Outcast. And um, a- along the way, uh, I'll uh, include the uh, details, the, 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 uh, uh, oh, the, jo- the Jesse tree and, and the music uh, that uh, Emily mentioned in the blog posts uh, accompanying uh, this particular podcast. So if you got this on, um, on your favorite podcatcher, just uh, head over to uh, uh, Todd and you can find uh, links to those uh, resources. I do hope that uh, you will, uh, Make Advent great again in your family, in your church community, and in your own life as we reflect on um, but God and the reality that uh, changed uh, or the way reality was changed with the incarnation and the coming of Jesus. So here's to hoping that you have a uh, reflective Advent season making Advent great Again, until next time, this has been Todd Littleton. Uh, As always, thanks for listening. Peace.